Welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In our last episode, we talked about leaving a job. And one of those reasons for leaving a job was due to bad managers. In this episode, we will follow up our discussion on what makes a good manager and even possibly what makes a bad manager. Before we jump into today's topic, let's go around our nice virtual table and give introductions of today's panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Augustus Yoon. I'm a software engineer at Twitch. Hi, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior software engineer working in the Bay Area at an undisclosed company that everyone knows who I work for. <laughs> undisclosed. I love it. Stacy. <laughs> Stacy London, a senior front end engineer at Atlassian. Brian Holt, and I'm every manager's worst nightmare. Surely. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Shirley Wu, and I am an independent data visualization designer and developer. <laughs> so you're you your own manager at this point? She's her own worst nightmare. I'm. <laughs> oh yeah, I really am. We can talk about that. I'm a horrible manager to myself. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager who's ready to hear all your thoughts on bad management and are really open to hearing this feedback. Before we get into today's episode, each episode we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Boss. Boss. So like Stacy said, we'll drink like bosses. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hop in. I mean, this is this episode. I, I don't even feel like I have a ton of questions for you all. What are the qualifications that make a good manager? We're all like, we have so many bad manager stories. Let's start with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, was ready. I mean, we can <laughs> start there too. Managers. I think some of the best managers I've ever had have been there to like help you and to be a resource for you. Um, advocate for you. That's a word Mars used before we started the show, which I really like. Yeah. Like advocate for you, try and promote you and, and be like, you know, if they think you're doing a good job, they try and help you in your career and move. And if you want to move teams, they'll help you with that. Like just that kind of like there to, to remove things, barriers and obstacles and, and that kind of thing. I think those are been some of the best managers for sure. I like the removing barriers and obstacles part. So I was I was trying to think of it before this episode. And um, I think one of the things that I really appreciated when I was at full-time jobs and I had managers, I was quite junior. So one of the things I really appreciated was how my manager really shield, shielded me from a lot of the politics from like above. And that just, uh, he just like let me concentrate on my IC job. Um, and so I was thinking about that and someone also said something that really stuck with me that a good manager should not be too transparent and tell everything um, because then you're just like a like a glass tube passing information along from like upper like above. But then it shouldn't also be like there should be some amount of transparency and a good manager will kind of filter out the noise. Um, and kind of just concentrate on what the most important signals are. And then I was kind of talking to my husband and he's uh, he's been at full-time companies and he's like more senior now. And he also made the really good point of when he was more junior as an IC, he really appreciated like the being shielded from politics. But now that he's more senior, he actually appreciates like kind of getting to know more of what's going on above and so kind of even with that kind of filtering noise it the level that's noise is really dependent on the person and so I think like a good manager knows how to balance that from like team member to team member yeah I like what you said there Shirley even on the individual basis is like I think how you interact with each person it's it's a little different it's not it shouldn't be one size fits all I think that's also what makes a good leader is like thinking about what works for Shirley what works for Mars what works for Jem is like those may all be different and what's important to them and so it's like important to understand that I mean I mean I think a big part of like what makes a good manager too is just the ability to empathize and listen and I, that that's invaluable. It's like there's there's multiple things going on. There's many hats that good that managers have to wear in general, and good managers wear them well. 
And one is like being able to have that human connection with your, your reports, I think, to be able to connect to them. And then also sort of all of the other logistical stuff that we've already been talking about, like being a mentor, being an advocate, like, you know, being kind of like a point of contact to the rest of the company. Um, it's a lot going on. And I don't know that we give enough credit to good managers. <laughs> we can complain about the bad managers as much as we want, but um, I think a good manager kind of goes unnoticed in a, in a way. The, the thing that Shirley said that stood out to me um, is I've had managers that are, are shit funnels that just funnel all of their shit directly onto the report. And I've had managers that are good shit umbrellas, right? And like they, 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 they shield you from the shit that comes from above, right? Yeah, like the shit funnel ones are like, like if I have a problem, you have a problem kind of person, right? Rather than trying to solve the problem, they're, they're just passing the buck down onto the reports when I was really early in my career, I had a manager just like that. He's like, wouldn't we take responsibility for mismanaging the team and instead was constantly blaming his reports. And so I also appreciated what Shirley said, which is um, there's different levels of purview that some developers or, or engineers or PMs or whatever want into the upper echelons of the company. And some of it's appropriate, right? Like if you're you know, doing some political action that, that needs purview into that, those upper echelons of the company, you need to know the politics of it, which is, you know, shitty to, to continue the analogy there. <laughs> but other times, like, it's just pointless, right? It's just pointless for you to be worrying about which CVP is is taking another CVP's pie or something like that. But what is CVP? Corporate vice president. It's a uh -huh. Microsoftism. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, 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 okay. it just comes yeah, out. Brian, you have changed. You have changed. Uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could disagree with you. That's why I'm drinking. Cheers. Like a boss. <laughs> like a boss. Cheers. 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 I, I think that was like a super good point, but I also kind of want to caveat that in that I've had managers that originally I've always thought, oh, wow, they're just like passing all these problems to me. But I feel sometimes like it is a good thing, like trying, like there's a right way of doing that. You know, there, there are certain things that you, you should delegate and have ownership in the ICs, but like kind of, like it doesn't make sense for you as the manager to solve all the problems. So I feel like there's this like balancing act of like knowing what things should be passed down to the ICs and other things that you can kind of shield the team from, you know, they should be focusing on whatever projects they're working on. Really great point. Sorry, the part that I forgot about was when it's not transparent enough that the ICs <laughs> don't feel empowered. Um, that's that's the really good point that someone made that I forgot previously. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and I think like delegation is hard, even from like a manager standpoint. There's things like I remember even when I first moved into management from an engineering role, there was especially things that I could just jump in and do. Like in the code base, it's like I knew it really well, but it was like, wait should I be doing this or should I be leaning on others and, and helping them grow into these areas? So I think like delegating and also empowering people to make those decisions is super important. Actually, I have a question for people that are managers or have been managers, which is kind of when you were stepping into that role, what were like, were, were there things that you wanted to prioritize? Were there things that you were kind of intimidated by? Um, I'm just asking this from like a trying to understand the other side of a good manager or hopefully there's no bad managers in this panel, but um, that's where the question is coming from. <laughs> I was a manager for a split second. It wasn't very long. I think like eight months of a small team. One thing I was excited about was that I thought that I would be able to have I don't know, like maybe more influence or be able to be able to advocate for trying to create like a design system. That was something that was, I was kind of asked like, oh, you can maybe try and make all the products um, have like a similar look and feel. I'm like, oh, cool. We can like create a design system. Here's what we need. We need X, Y, and Z and like try to be, I thought that I would have more resources at my disposal as a manager to, to make that happen. And I think that's sometimes true, like depending on what company uh, you work for you you have more like you have access to budget or you have uh, access to meetings with people who can give you budget that kind of thing yeah for me I feel like you're expecting a grand plan I feel like I was just thrown into the role and it was like sink or swim and I, I think that's how it started and then it's you know as I started to figure it out like that's when I started to be a little more thoughtful on 
you know, what's important for what role do I play? What role does the team play and be a little more thoughtful around that? Augustus can attest this because I feel like he was <laughs> early in my direct reports where it was like, yeah, it was just kind of thrown into that and figuring out like how to balance being an engineer plus a manager. And that doesn't work that well. I think that was my biggest struggle was like, I had to quickly let go of the code and, and realize that it's not efficient for me to be a manager as well as an engineer. At that point, I'm not doing any job well. And then I'm not really doing my job as a manager, which is the more, most important piece of that. Um, so that was something I had to like quickly pivot without really much planning. It would have been nice to have more planning ahead, but it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, I, I've managed people. I, I think I've managed people poorly because I, I think it just wasn't mature enough at the time. This is like... I don't know, mid twenties or something like that. I managed uh, a few people. I think I was too cavalier with it and to not understanding people take what I say seriously, which is like a weird thing to say, but you know, I'm just used to like, oh yeah, you all are my friends, you and our listeners like understand my personality, my sense of humor. And that's not necessarily true when you're talking about like actually people's careers and their jobs. And yeah, I probably wasn't the best manager back then, like just being honest. I, you know, I just didn't take it seriously enough. I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in power now. Now I can do whatever I want. Like a boss. Like a boss. Like a boss. Like a boss. Cheers. 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 Jem, to that point though, a manager role is a different role. Like I want to make that clear too, is that it's like everyone always talks about, oh, I'm getting promoted to be the boss, but it's like, you were an engineer and you were a good engineer. And then it's like, guess what? Now you got to figure out this whole other role and it's not the exact same. So I think like, it's fair to say that you're not going to jump into it and be like solid manager right off the hop. You have to learn it. It's a different role. It's it, it, increasingly as I become older and more mature, mature in quotes. Are you mature? Uh, yeah, that's why I put it in quotes. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm doing it. Uh, faithful listeners. Like, management or leadership is about service like mm -hmm. it, that's just the core of it is you are there to serve other people the we won't talk about characteristics of bad managers because we've all had plenty of those but what i've seen is overarching theme of poor managers is it's about them and about mm -hmm. them getting their stuff done rather than no you are there to serve other people you don't get credit for things anymore like you didn't push that feature you didn't release that giant bug fix and crush all these stuff. Like if you look on the outside, it looks like you're doing nothing. You're like, what mm -hmm. do managers do all day? They sit in meetings. And like, that's what a good manager is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people might get to manager and move no further and maybe drop back or drop over to the IC because it's not what they imagine to be, which is like, I'm big in charge and I'm making, I'm a shot caller and I'm making decisions. And just talking to people like Ryan and my current manager and other leaders at Netflix, I've learned that no, actually being a manager is opposite of that. You lose a lot more control. As an mm -hmm. IC, I have a ton of control over what I do and how the code ships and like what it looks like. But as a manager, you have no control over that. You can only try to guide people in the right direction. And I think that's important for anybody considering being a manager is you actually have less control and you have to be okay with that if you're gonna be good at your job. I wish that um every IC that wants to get promoted to manager or gets promoted to manager, here's what you just said, because like, I think it will save so much pain. If <laughs> my biggest pet peeve, my biggest career pet peeve is somehow we assume that a good IC will become a good manager. And I'm like, where did this where did this come from? It's a completely different skill set. And I like how you put it as it's essentially a service job, which I'm like, I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. Yeah. Like some people go to school for four years studying computer related things to be that IC, whereas do people spend four years studying human psychology, um, understanding like that kind of no I've, I've never heard of such a thing like yeah I actually, organizational psychology is the ooh, there we go yeah. 
Yeah, so that I is a thing. Gonna... Yes, but how yeah. many how many managers have a degree in that? I was um, actually just gonna say that uh, I studied business in undergrad, and and then it was and then I had a CS minor. Um, but when I was studying business. Um, I think this is like a typical weird ego thing of, I guess, like more technical people. I was like, oh, this organizational behavior class I have to take because of my business requirement is so fluffy. Like, what am I even learning from this? It's so soft and fluffy. Like, you know, like I'm not learning anything substantial from this is the attitude I had the entire semester. And then after that semester, like to this day, it is one of the, like just that one class I learned so much from. It is one of the classes that I've taken the most amount of value from. And it taught us things like interpersonal, like interpersonal communication and trying to empathize with the other person and, um, how do you talk to the other like how do you kind of yeah like communicate across um i guess across the table um things that i was like oh this is useless when i was just a dumb college kid and now as an adult in the workforce i'm like this is the most valuable thing i've ever learned and i am so glad i had it before i entered the workforce so um yeah <laughs> And I guess there's like, maybe this is an interesting topic, subtopic as well of how we in tech uh, kind, kind of look down on more soft skills. And I wonder if that contributes to kind of the um, potential bad manager or the toxicity of, I guess, the industry. <laughs> Yes. I think when you, when you, yeah, I think, yes. Um, and I think when you compare it to code is like, things are a lot more binary. They, they work or they don't versus as leaders, managers, boss, whatever you want to call it. Cheers. 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 You're dealing, you're dealing with people. And that's a big difference is like no individual situation is exactly the same. And granted, not, not code is always exactly the same, but a lot of the problems you're solving are, are similar. And I think about it as like back to what I said of it's an individual thing is you're dealing with people from an individual level. Someone may have the very similar problem, but they're dealing with it completely different and you're there to help support them. And so it's, everything is very unique that you're dealing with and can surprise you in so many different ways. Uh, so I think like that is an important skill set. And if people don't bring that to the table, that's where you get some other poor managers or bosses bosses cheers <laughs> cheers, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> can i also say that i i hate that word like boss like i don't really like being called a boss i think about it is like a manager is a better word because it's like no i'm just doing a different job i'm not like here to dictate like what you do or how you know what your responsibilities are and stuff it's like i'm just taking a portion of like what the role is i'm doing something a little bit differently than what you're doing but i've always hated that word cheers you know that, I also said it. The, cheers. Uh, cheers the origin of boss is a it's early 19th century word from dutch b-a-a-s which i think translates to master so all of that kind of eh, gross yeah. I like it. Ooh. Uh, yeah i don't like it even more now <laughs> Okay, that's my new title. Corporate guardian. <laughs> corporate <What>? guardian. <laughs> Wait, like you guard the corporation's interests? Is that what that means? Up to up to your interpretation. Or or you could be guarding. Yeah, you could also be guarding like your direct reports from the corporation. Ooh. Or you could just be like smog guarding like your your pile of gold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've already alluded to it a little bit. What makes a bad manager? I mean, we've had them. I've had some like horror stories, but I'm curious to some of you, like what are, what makes a bad manager um, in your experience? I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, um, like the individuality of the people that you're managing. My worst manager, actually, that's not true. My second worst manager. I had another Is that one your now. worst? I wasn't going to say it out loud. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> it's, fair. it's okay, Brian. It's cool. No, this... My worst manager, we'll talk about uh, that person later. This other person, which was well-meaning, but uh, not a good manager and earlier in my career, 
I'm worried that all my managers are doing this damn podcast. I know. I thought about uh, that. <laughs> so first of all, I'm not going to talk about Ryan. I'm, uh, I, man, Ryan was a good manager for, for the record. And then I'm not going to talk about Chris Diaz, my current manager, because I like my job. So, and I also like Chris. <laughs> Just for the record, nothing is about any of these people. So going back to the point of individuality, I had a manager that applied the same blueprint. I feel like the, this particular person just read a, uh, like a business book. It's like, okay, you manage people's in this fashion. And it was a, it was a high level of control, right? It was very much in the details. We're going to do this. It's going to take this long. You're going to solve it this way. And I, I am a person that does not function well in that kind of environment. Like I, I, I thrive a lot more with like, here's a high level problem, you know, my, my charter right now is to improve JavaScript experience on Azure. That's a enormous charter, but that's very amorphous, right? But that's how I thrive is those kind of give me the problem direction and I will go figure out what the problems to solve. On the flip side of that, I've worked with people that like, if you don't give them a, like a highly structured environment, they don't, they don't function mm-hmm. super well. And like, I'm not saying one of those is better than the other, right? If, if you give me a highly structured problem, I'm going to get bored. I don't, I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to do very well, but someone else might like go in there and just crush it, get right through it and do an amazing job. And so every person that you're managing deserves this kind of individual lens of like what they're going to do. Cause you could have two people on the same team, but one's going to need essentially a high level of guidance, but it's going to be very effective. And another person's going to be like, don't give me much guidance. Just give me a problem and leave me the fuck alone. Right. <laughs> I like that though. It goes back to the individual too, right? Like that's kind of what your point is. Sign you what <laughs> Brian described as his second worst manager being extremely controlling. It's precisely the reason why I'm too scared to be a manager because I know that I have such perfectionist controlling tendencies that I'm like, I, I know it's something that you practice at, like Ryan, you said, like you're not going to be perfect right away. But I think that's the reason why, like as an independent kind of like um, self-employed person, I've considered maybe like expanding to a small team and running a small studio. Um, but for the past four years, the reason why I've never done it is like the kind of that cloud of having had both a good manager and a like... I, and, and a less than ideal manager, I am so aware of the good and bad that it just is very intimidating. Um, and so that's what keeps me from kind of making that leap. And this year was the year that I was like, okay, like I have this dream, I want to expand, like, but I think it's still something that's stopping me. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be that like controlling person. That's like, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Actually, this I feel like is going to turn into a therapy session for me because (laughs) (laughs) that's my biggest insecurity for uh, like my, I guess, like my work going forward. Thanks. But the fact that you're self-aware is probably enough that it, you wouldn't do those things. And I think that's a characteristic of a good manager versus a bad manager is self-awareness and, and, and like being able to recognize like, oh, I'm actually being too controlling or micromanaging or whatever it is. And you, you're, you can be, uh, yeah, self-aware. But then I'm scared of um, coming across insecure being like, I, I like have this tendency to want to be like, am I being too much? Can you give me feedback? Like, <laughs> like please tell me if I'm being too much. <laughs> But I mean, hey, Shirley, that's actually a good thing is like you want people to feel comfortable giving you that feedback too. Mm. Like, I think that is so important. Like, I really want people to tell me is like, Ryan, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) I think that is important. So I think it's like also, I don't think we highlighted this in the positives, but I think a good manager is also vulnerable. I think it's important Mm. for them to recognize we aren't perfect. We are going to make the so many mistakes just as much as like anyone is going to make mistakes and so also like admitting when you've like made a mistake or didn't listen to someone when they gave you that feedback and i think so i think i think just like what stacy said for you too surely you're just more self-aware on that that is important it's like just being open on that is hey i might be overbearing please let me know if i'm going to be overbearing and like and that that goes a long way and surely i i in my opinion, as your friend, I think you'd be a great manager. I think you'd be a great leader. Uh, one of the characteristics I believe of a great leader is that they don't want to be a leader. I, like, <laughs> I, I, no, no, seriously. I, 
like leadership is a burden. Anybody who's ever been in charge of anything, like pick whatever you want, whether it's uh, party planning or organizing a family reunion or anything like that, you know that organizing all these things and pulling people together is a burden. It is much easier to sit back and have someone tell you what to do. You do it, you go home, you sleep at night. And like knowing there's someone who's paying attention to the, the details. So like a good leader understands that it's a burden and they don't want to do it. They do it because they know it's the best use of their skills and they, they know that they can bring out the best in others. But yeah, like I think given the chance, all the, the great leaders we know, they'd probably love to sit back and just be like, nah, man, someone else, someone else do this. Like, I'm going to go chill for a bit. I'm tired. But like, as a leader, you can't say that. Like, you can't be like, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. These things like you can, you can be vulnerable, but, but to a degree, uh, there's the old saying, like heavy is the head that wears the crown, which is just the, the weight of leadership is, is really heavy. And I don't think most people can bear that. And the best leaders understand that going in. Uh, I get, there's so many good analogies about leadership because I think it's like this story in human history that we've been telling each other over and over and over again. Uh, but it's still just people view it as just power and being in charge and things like that. When it, it's just not, there's so many fables about what leadership actually is. Uh, another favorite one, and I promise I'll shut up after this, uh, the, the sort of Damocles which is an old, old, uh, I believe it's Greek myth, but it's um, some dude is like, man, it'd be so great to be the king. And he's talking to the king. He's like, I bet it's so great. And he's like, yeah, but what happens is I'm sitting on his throne and above me is this sword that's hanging above me all the time. It's on this micro, micro thin strand and at any time can fall and kill me. And that's what being a leader is. It's just like, you don't know, you're always on the edge. You can't ever relax essentially. Same thing for Game of Thrones, like the, the Iron Throne. But it's, I, the Iron Throne is not supposed to be comfortable. It's made of swords. You, you're not supposed to relax. And like it cuts you if you relax. And like that is leadership in a nutshell. It, it's it's a burden. And yeah, so by saying you don't want to be a leader, I, I think that is like a good step in being a good leader, saying like, I don't want to do this, but if I do, here's how I'm going to do it. And here's how I'm going to be most effective at it. Mm, thank you. So I believe in you, Shirley. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So getting back to like bad managers, I got to share this one. That's like, it is not my current manager. It's not a manager that I've had for many, many years. If he's listening. Yeah. Well, he'll learn. I used to get called on like Friday and Saturday nights to like, just randomly do work. And I was like, nah, I mean, it never worked. I had to learn though, to set boundaries. And like, that was something that I quickly, I didn't last long at the job. It, I just always remember that of, wow, this guy like truly doesn't respect any boundaries. These weren't critical things like, hey, our site is down, our application is out. It was literally like some new idea. I don't know, maybe he was also getting it from the top down too, right? I empathize a little bit, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm not doing that. That is a power trip. That's my worst nightmare. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to like the, the shit funnel stuff I was talking about, right? Like my problem is now your problem. Like I'm in trouble because this isn't done yet. So Friday at five, I'm coming to your desk. It's like, this has got to be done by Sunday night, right? Yeah. That's a bad manager. Yeah. It's, unless it's just taking like, yeah, well, we're, my, like my team's not going to do that. So, you know, too bad. Like we're not delivering or like, it, it's kind of like them absorbing some of that shit instead of like dropping it down to you. Yep. I, I think uh, a bad manager fails to set expectations. Mm. And I actually got this from a, a director at Netflix who I was talking to the other day. It was Ryan's wife. Please, she's a director <laughs> at Netflix. <laughs> uh, but and I, I've run into this too, not necessarily a bad manager, more of a ambiguous manager. I couldn't say if they were good or bad, but it's just something happened, like some project I was leading. It didn't go quite as well as it could have. Uh, and they're like, Gemma, I'm really disappointed in you. I was, I was really hoping you do X, X, and X and do better on this. And I'm like, well, if I knew that's what you were looking for, then like I could have stepped up my game, but I think I did as well as was expected of me. And if you didn't set expectations, that's kind of on you, but like it comes down on me ultimately. So a bad manager doesn't set expectations. A good one says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do like Brian Holt said, and I'm going to be the crap umbrella. I'm going to keep the politics and all this stuff off your plate. In return, I need you to execute and deliver on the things when you say you're going to do it. And if we agree on this, then like, cool. And like, that's a good manager. 
and you know exactly where you stand all the time. And if someone's mm -hmm. unhappy, they know about it. If the manager isn't happy with you, you know about it. And it sounds easy on paper, but in reality, uh, it's it's very complex. Well, I think it's like you said, being clear with those expectations, but also making sure people understand that too. Because like I may say something, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jem totally understands this and walk away. But it's also making sure that the communication is clear and that we're both on the same page. Because I do, I do agree with you, Jem, that that's unfair where it's like, wait, I wasn't even aware of these expectations and you're holding me to these expectations, but you didn't let me know that. And so, yeah. I didn't live up to what you were thinking because like, nobody, I didn't even know that's what you were expecting. One thing that I think is I've, I haven't seen a lot written about this, but just that the words that you use as the manager are so important and you can create an entire atmosphere on your team by mm -hmm. how you speak and, and your communication style. And you can really quickly and easily and, and like, you can create a bad environment that's like, doesn't feel safe for a team just by by words like you you know I one time I witnessed someone newer on the team asking for help um in a slack channel to like do something and the manager was like oh I don't know why you're having all this trouble like four other people figured it out you know like but I'll let me let me see if I can help you and you're like oh that's not a good approach at all you just like shamed someone yeah you know for asking questions um just a few words and you, you kind of almost destroy like, your team feeling safe. Um, and so I think, yeah, your words are very important. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Like, it's like those words are just like, what, what was the productivity there for that person too, or the rest of the team? Mm. It's even worse that the rest of the team heard it, but it's like, yeah, what, what motivation is that? It's like, cool. Even if someone made a mistake, it's like, thanks. What does that help them grow or say like, oh, great feedback. I want to work on that. It's like, wow, now I'm really demotivated. Thanks. Thanks for that. Mm, I feel like the safe space comment you made, Stacey, is like so important. And I think that uh, I was also thinking beforehand about trust, the trust that you develop between like you and your manager. Um, because when I was kind of reflecting back on the less than ideal experience I had, I, uh, I think it ultimately led to a lack of trust. And so it was a very interesting situation I was in where I was at the company before the manager came in because it was like a startup. And so like, you know, they had the ICs before the management. And then I think because I was on a relatively high profile project, I already had all of these relationships with um, all of the other kind of VPs and um, a lot of the other stakeholders. And so I think at the very beginning, what didn't happen very well was kind of the onboarding of uh, the manager I had where I was kind of like, hey, as an IC, like, I mean, I was young. I think I was like, just kind of like, I, I was like, hey, I'm too busy to like onboard right now um, because it, I just had so much on my plate. I think then snowballed into the rest of what happened of um, because we never kind of got to establish that like beginning common ground and trust. One of the things that really stands out in my mind without going into too much detail is that um, with the good experience I had, um, I one-on-ones with my manager was like super casual. Um, he, he was like, hey, like you can tell me about, um, you know, what you want out of your job, out of like your career growth, or like, you know, in these like one-on-ones, like weekly one-on-ones, if you have like nothing to tell me about like your, you know, like your job so far, or um, then you could just tell me like whatever is going on in your life that you feel comfortable sharing. Actually, I think I mentioned him in my in our last podcast episode and funnily enough because I was like oh yeah that manager I super like and he like reaches out once in a while and he actually reached out again a few, few weeks ago and I was like oh this is amazing anyways that was a good manager and I think like one-on-one -on -one, I looked forward to my one-on-ones with him it just felt like talking to a mentor friend um, and then contrasting that with the other experience I had of like I felt so on edge with 
in the one-on-ones with that manager, like he barely spoke in the one-on-ones and kind of like typed and took notes the entire time, Mm. but like would not share with me what he was writing, but he would say that he would send that to like the VPs and stuff, um, but would not again share (laughs) what he was writing. So like it was, and then when I, there's a whole saga that we don't need to get into. Like there's, there was a lot of drama. uh, like a bad boss. Yeah. <laughs> bad Cheers. Boss. Like that's a great way to put it. I was I I felt gaslit because I was like, am I in the wrong for asking him for the notes of our meeting? Because oh. he's like, that's an unreasonable demand. Like, if you want notes of like our meeting, then you should take the notes yourself. I don't know. To this day, I don't know what happened. I think maybe like looking back, maybe he was just really awkward. That's Here's how I would take the notes in that situation is like, my manager is refusing to share what he's writing about me. I find it really uh, uncomfortable. I'm going to be sending this to HR. Like, I mean, the one-on-one is like yours and that person's like personal time. Like, I don't understand. So no, I don't think that's unrealistic for you to be like, what are you writing? Sure. I love you brought up the, the one-on-ones because that that's a good signal if you you're of your relationship with the manager. If you have a sense of dread going to every single one-on-one with any leader at all, then that's not a good relationship. You should know exactly what you're going to talk about, or just like, if you're talking about nothing, just talk about nothing and have a list of problems you're going to bring or just issues. But I've had that. I've had that so many times, just like dread going into a one-on-one mm-hmm. where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen in, in this. Am I getting raised? Am I getting fired? Like, <laughs> it, It's yeah. just a terrible, terrible feeling. Uh, the, the term that's coming to my head is like appropriate transparency, right? Like you're like, if your manager's like knows that you're in trouble, that they, you know, that they're going to come to you with that information, right? Like I was like, the advice I was give junior developers ne- is never surprise your manager. And I think managers, I'd give them the same advice is like, never re- surprise your reports, right? Like if you send a message and you say, Hey, and their immediate reaction is like, am I getting fired? Right. Or if they can't log into their email, they're thinking today's I'm, I'm getting fired today. Right. Yeah. So being willing to have those difficult conversations and, and like having that confidence that when difficulty is about like is around you, that, that, that's going to come down like that. Like it goes back to what Shirley was saying was trust, right? Like those trusts that you can have those, uh, difficult conversations. My worst manager that I had was, is exactly what I'm talking about right now is that there was trouble abound and this, this person was too much of a wuss to have a difficult conversation with me mm. and so the entire team suffered for it right sorry i no, just continue. have so many like comments on this thread on that thread of like a manager has such a difficult job because like i think the most difficult job a manager has is like having to fire someone and and i think not doing that when it's apparent that it should be done. I think, so the context of where I'm coming from is I've also had relatively good, you know, bosses, cheers, not not like a direct manager, but like a manager's manager, cheers. I've had like, you know, like an experience where he was really good when the things were going well of, um, he was extremely supportive, and he was like very thoughtful, but when things weren't going well, it felt like he wasn't as quick as he I would have liked him to be in terms of like letting go of someone. It's it's the whole like, you know, when there's like a few bad like people in the team, um, it like ruins the experience for everyone. And that one like and that leads to like the good people leaving. And I, I, I wonder about your opinions on that of like a manager that like is great when things are great, but like when you need them to do the difficult thing, it takes them a while. Um, and, and in my opinion, it takes them too long. Like from your perspective, uh, Shirley, when you've been like around that, maybe it's a fellow engineer and you're like, oh, why is this person still here? Like you think it takes too long? In that like... Um, again, without going into too, too much detail, 
a pattern where a good engineer left because they're like after you know like mm -hmm. many like communications with upper management like a good engineer left because nothing was being done about the bad teammate situation sure and, yeah. and then as soon as they left that bad teammate got let go um and so like you know the the connotation is that they knew that this was a problem but they didn't pull the trigger until something drastic happened mm. All right, let me share the manager perspective a little bit here. Because mm. uh, I think it it is, I mean, letting someone go is a really hard decision. And oftentimes you will say, oh, should have done it sooner. Like that is oftentimes I've heard many managers say that because they start to like recognize that. Or there's even been times they've let someone go like in that situation, Shirley, where there, there has been times where someone brings down a team I don't think I've ever had to let someone go where that's happened, but I've, I've been the engineer on the other end where there was that brilliant jerk that got let go. And you're like, the, the team mm. is like almost celebrating and happy because they actually feel better because of it. And I think those leaders at the time realized like, oh, I didn't realize how bad it was. And, mm -hmm. and so sometimes it can be hard for someone to really see it, but then they, they do realize very quickly, wow, my team's so much happier because of this, or like I should have done it sooner type mentality. But it's also on the same vein is like, if, if you weren't performing well, you also want to be given some time to, to improve on that. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's always harder from the outside where you're like, I've seen this problem. Why is this person not being let go? And it's like, mm -hmm. it, it can be hard. I've been on both sides of the fence on this one. So I'm like, yeah, I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's just tough all around. Fucking bosses. Oh, that's, that's, Am I right? Uh, <laughs> <boss>. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. It's not necessarily a characteristic of a bad manager per se, but bad leadership is when people start leaving they start blaming everybody else like oh it's the environment oh they wanted more money oh they weren't mm. they wanted oh the, the excuses oh yeah. i i've been there when uh half an engineering team quit and like the excuses were oh they're they're leaving for this or leaving for that they're leaving for this but like never once they look in the mirror and be like is it us are are, are we the bad guys are we the bad guys <laughs> are we the baddies <laughs> Yeah. No, it's definitely not us. It's other people. Yeah. And then continue on. And Silicon Valley is rife with these, these leaders because if they finally get let go or something like that, they just bounce to another job and they bounce to another job. And like when people are looking at their resume and be like, oh, mm -hmm. it looked like the company did better after you left or whatever it is. Like, oh, it wasn't me. It was blah, 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 blah. Oh, and yeah. the, the best leaders, and I'll say Ryan is an, an excellent example of this. It like, yeah, you know, things weren't going well and I wasn't paying enough attention. I wasn't giving them the right whatever. And so they left or something like that. And like they, they take personal accountability, even in cases where it's not 100% their fault. But a 100% side of a bad leader is they don't take responsibility for the things that are happening with their direct reports. And it's not always their fault, but you, should, you do bear some responsibility as a manager. That's part of that burden you carry. I mean, it takes two, right? Like at the end of the day, I think that's a great way to put it, Gem, is like it takes two. It's never one side. Ah, oh, it's all that one person. I did nothing wrong. I mean, that's my mentality, but you know. <laughs> Hopefully a short question for the rest is like, what makes a good skip manager or, or boss's boss take two Ooh, drinks? Good question. Ooh. Cheers. 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 So I think what makes a good skip level, because I think that is an important one. And what I think about it is like, they need to build trust with you. So if I'm the engineer and I'm, maybe I have a manager and then a director and like the director, I, they need to build trust with me. They need to make it so that I feel comfortable to go to them. Say I'm giving feedback to my manager and that manager's not listening. I want to be able to go to them and feel trust that I can, that they're going to hear me out. I want them to, to build relationship with me too, because I think that's important. It's like they're invested in the team. Yes, they're not talking with you as much, but like it's important for them to really build that trust and relationship. I think that to me is a really important aspect of it. Yeah, sort of it, to follow on to that, just the to by building that trust, some of the best sort of skip levels or director types um, that I've ever worked with they're proactive, like they'll, they reach out to you and they want to get to know 
like everybody on the team. And I, and I mean, some teams perhaps are probably way bigger than others. And maybe that's more difficult depending on their schedules and stuff, but they set up the meeting to be like, I would like to talk to you and get to know you and understand like, what is, you know, what are you struggling with on your team? What's positive? Like, how can I help kind of thing? They initiate it and they, cause it shows like they're interested and they care. If you, if you de- never do that and you're kind of hold up in your in office somewhere and you never reach out to anybody, it just seems like maybe you don't care about what's happening with everybody. I, w- I would just totally agree with what Stacy was saying. Uh, I'm going to shout out my skip right now. Shout out to uh, Amanda Silver at Microsoft. Of all the skips I've had, and I've had, I've had great skips before as well, but uh, she has an enormous organization and yet she's, she knows more or less what everyone's doing and talks to everyone on a regular basis. Um, she she ga- gains a lot of trust with all of her organization just by by method of that, and I think that makes her more effective. And 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 in general, just having like a loose grasp of what the entire organization is doing and having trust that like like for example, if I had a manager, now getting into like dangerous territory here, but I like Chris. But if I had a bad manager, I would feel comfortable going to a man and talking to him about that. And and um, I think that sort of trust in the organization beyond your just your immediate manager, I think is really important. And if you tell them something that they do something. So it's not just like, so actions um, speak, you know, louder, I guess, than the words. But yeah, if, they, if you see that, if there's like a big problem on a team and, the, and that person listens to everybody and actually does something about it, that's huge. Yeah, actually, to kind of build on that, like leaders of leaders, I guess, is what we're going for. What I really appreciate is providing those forums where we can communicate with them. So like something that I like that Twitch does is they have like these open office hours where we can ask leaders like anonymous questions and and skip level directors will like respond to them. And I, that's like something I really appreciate because my day-to-day definitely doesn't interact with them like at all. So it's really cool to ask them questions and then see their perspective. And it's like a an opportunity for them to kind of communicate what problems they see in the organization and how how aware they are of like the problems like even at the IC level. Yeah, I think it kind of also goes back to something Jem said earlier about um, expectations because I think skip levels are great for dealing with and also noticing large organizational problems, but they're also very good for disseminating context like from higher up in like to their employees. Um, and, and I do think it goes back to trust of like, can you trust you're getting the right information? And can you trust that if you give them information, they're going to do the right thing with that information um, is pretty important. But also like skip levels are sort of, I think they're there for more than, than just problems. So if they are also correctly setting those expectations with you as your direct manager might, um, it could be a really, really productive relationship because you've got insight at a different level to different parts of the organization. This is something I wanted to ask, and I feel like I'm um, opening a can of worms, but on the uh, topic of bad managers, I feel like there's a unique set of experiences we have as women with misogynistic managers. Uh, I've definitely experience being put down for being young and not explicitly because I'm a woman but the comments were implied. That's a really interesting point you brought up Shirley. I I, I don't think it's just like a, a gender thing but I think from sort of like any minority group in tech sometimes when you have a bad manager it, it's really hard to tease out what's bad management and what's potentially like unconscious bias coming Mm -hmm. into play. If you think it's the unconscious bias, it is really, really hard to bring that up with the manager or even the skip level or even anyone at the company. But I I hear what you're saying because I've seen it happen and um, I've experienced it as well. And it's almost like one of the most toxic relationships you can have uh, because it's very gaslighty and then there's power dynamics involved and stuff but mm-hmm. anyway maybe we'll end on like a, a lighter note than that <laughs> i i love that you brought it up because i'm like yeah this is a problem and like we all have our biases that exists i really appreciate all of the efforts that are being made in the tech community i think awareness really helps
I think there's additional, there's just additional layers as a manager for Ryan, you, you, you mentioned it before, like humans are very complicated. And th this is just another point that kind of feeds into that. Like, it's not just humans, it's uh, every, everybody's coming from these different experiences. And I think the one thing that we don't do enough of in maybe anywhere is give managers actual training and like, and, and time at work to become better and to learn. And so like, have like, you know, the unconscious bias training or read more about that or read more about diverse perspectives. And there should be so much more of that. And I don't, I hardly, I don't know if it exists even, I hardly ever see it. Like, yeah, we have some like diversity training at work, but like, not like that, like something deeper and, and more meaningful for, to grow managers into positions where they can, they can lead diverse teams. I wish there was more. There's a lot of great material out there. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of great material, but I wish it was more mandated. That's like yeah. that, that leaders are held more accountable to that. Yeah. Uh, mm. Because like, it's something that you can go read all this stuff, but like, if no one's telling you to do that, are you doing it? I don't know. I, like, I mean, I think it's important to read all that to be a great leader is like to, to think about like all these different cases and how do, how do you approach them and think about that? If you're not being held accountable for, to that, like people aren't going to be doing it and that's unfortunate. So I'm glad you brought it up, Shirley, because I think it is a very, very important part. And of course, like we're not going to solve that problem on here, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, we can cheers to the bad bosses all day long. Cheers. 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 I'm not cheersing to a bad boss. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> I'll drink to a bad drink because of a bad boss. Drink because know. of the bad boss. Yeah, I love it. To their yeah. timely demise. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's let's leave on a happy note of sharing some great picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to share pics of things that we've found interesting. We'd like to share with you all. Stacy, you want to start it off? I know you've always got some great, great music picks to set us off. Oh, thanks. I try. Uh, I've got, yes, two, two picks for music. Uh, the first one is uh, Black Trees by Indian Wells. Uh, he is an artist that is on the Mesh label that um, I've done some before of Max Cooper. Um, and he runs that label. Um, so if you like Max Cooper, you probably will like Indian Wells. Um, the, the song in particular was, quote, written as a cathartic expression stemming from the rumination on the short terminism of our contemporary way of life and its potentially disastrous environmental consequences. So you can take that out of an electronic song that has no words. And then the next uh, pick is the Upward Spiral uh, Overlook remix by Overlook and Nicholas um, Bugiev. Bugiev. It is heavy synth techno, um, very good headphones, bounce your head to it, bass heavy. Uh, it's a fun track. All right, Augustus, what do you have? Sure. So I have two picks. One was uh, something Sarah Drasner actually posted um, a while ago, and I saved it. And uh, yeah, I thought it was really cool. It's this SVG path editor. Um, it was a GitHub page, and it I think it's dope. Yeah. Okay, Brian. Brian knows all about it then. <laughs> it's you, you can literally edit an SVG like on the path level, and it provides like a pretty intuitive like web page for you to do that. So I, I thought that was just super cool. This is like something that I've definitely wanted when like I've been tweaking like very minor things in SVG. So I thought that was a cool pick. Um, and my second pick is this anime. <laughs> it's called the, yeah, yeah, surely. Uh, the, the Rising <laughs> of the Shield Hero. Um, it's a really funny anime. Uh, basically it's about this guy who's reading this book and he's like, oh, wow, there's these four heroes. There's a spear hero, a sword hero, and oh, there's this lame shield hero. <laughs> and all he does is he defends. Who wants to be that guy? Well, lo and behold, he becomes the shield hero. He gets sucked in, whatever. And it's about his story about how he kind of paves his own kind of tale of, you know, not being a useless, like, because the whole city thinks he's a, a lame, useless defensive character, but he paves this, like, journey of, being actually pretty awesome he becomes a really becomes really badass so yeah, that's all i'll really say that was really good brian what do you have for us well my first pick hopefully it's not too controversial is wearing a fucking mask 
That's yeah. that's, it. that's the whole thing. Whoa, whoa, bro, bro. bro. Wear a mask like a bro, boss. Don't, don't impinge my freedom. Like a so. boss. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Dear like a God. boss. And you know what? On the front end happy hour story, you can purchase a front end happy hour mask, Brian. Oh my God. Nice, you Brian. Go. You are you are good. <laughs> merchandising yeah it is giving tuesday when we're recording this so i feel like the next two picks are going to be uh have to be charitable for my end so i'm going to pick my two favorite charities i've picked them before i will pick them again uh, i'm going to pick annie cannons uh they teach uh human trafficking victims how to code and help them break the cycle of being human trafficked because the most likely person to be human trafficked is someone that has been human trafficked before so I just, I can't say enough good things about the, the organization. The other one is, uh, is a dear friend, uh, Drum Hardaway's organization, which is Vets Who Code, who is also teaching vets uh, how to break into the tech industry while saving their GI Bill, which is a huge deal if you know anything about GI Bills. There's just an, a ton of statistics about how vets are most likely to become homeless, most likely to have all sorts of issues post-deployment. Um, and so this is really helping a very vulnerable population take their skills and apply it into a new way. So I, I, again, I just really can't say enough good thing about Jerome's organization with the Vetsu code. So uh, my pick is to donate to those two organizations if you have a few dollars to spare. Even, you know, even five bucks really helps. Mars, what do you have for us? Yeah, my picks are not at all developer related and have you spending money in completely different non-productive ways. <laughs> um, the first one being like, I don't have an advent, we were talking about advent calendars before we started recording and I don't have an advent calendar for myself, but my cats have one. So if you love it. On brand for Mars. <laughs> As we record, I'm covered in cats. You can't see them, but they're here. If you love your fur babies as much as I do, Trader Joe's sells advent calendars for dogs and for cats, and they've got treats in them. So, <laughs> so just cool. saying. Um, and then the second one is, it pains me to see how, like, Ziploc bags pain me to no end. Like, there's people use them once, and they throw them away, and they're always buying new ones constantly. So I have these bags I love called Stasher Bags which um, they're silicone reusable bags. You can, uh, they've got good sizes. They're great because you can sous vide with them. You can freeze them. You can microwave them. You can use them as a traditional Ziploc bag. Uh, they go in the dishwasher and they're just overall great. But also, if you don't spend your money on those things, I'm just putting those out into the world. <laughs> Listen to what Brian said instead. <laughs> I like it. Shirley, what do you have? This is my second episode as an like as a panelist. For the first episode, uh, one of my picks was my own project, and uh, today I also have something of mine. And I absolutely promise that this is not going to be a trend. Like I'm not trying to do this. I'm super okay with this. <laughs> I'm not trying to do this every episode. It's just that the last episode I had something exciting to me personally launch, and then. Today, I also had something exciting launch. So um, the first thing is uh, I wrote a book. What? <laughs> what? what? Amazing. <laughs> when did this happen? Do you sleep? Uh, I feel like I don't understand how you she doesn't do everything. Book? I actually, for the last two days, have not slept much. And that's why I had to take a nap before this. Um, but I do sleep regularly. The secret is that I work for myself. So I do a lot of unpaid hours. <laughs> this is a book based on a project that I've had for the last four years with my really good friend, Nadi Bremer. It's a project called Data Sketches. And essentially, the project is um, one where we chose 12 different topics, and then we each visualized it from, um, from scratch. And so and then, um, and so we created a data visualization project from scratch. And then we wrote about the whole process of where we got where we got the data, how we cleaned it, how we analyzed it, how we designed and, you know, sketched and, and then implemented it with code. And so that's a project that we started four years ago. And ever since we first launched the project, um, we've had this dream of turning it into a book because what we didn't realize at the time before we launched the project was how much people love behind the scenes looks of process. 
And so today we finally announced the book. Um, it's been in the works for the last two and a half years. It's been an extremely arduous journey. We've spent like thousands of hours on it, um, but we've finally gotten to kind of create the book of our dreams, which is this kind of like hybrid of a beautiful coffee, coffee table book with like very, you know, indulgent images of our work side by side with very technical write-ups of our process. Um, it's now on pre-order and uh, all of the details are at our project website, datasketch.es. And I hope that like for any listeners that are interested in data visualization, interested in kind of the thought process that goes into it, or just want like, I don't know, images full of what, dare I say, beautiful images, I hope you will consider pre-ordering the book. It will be published next February. Um, and uh, along with the announcement, we uh, completely redesigned our website. And um, I just have to say, I'm so like, every time I see our landing page, I weep because of how beautiful I think it looks. The cover is by my amazing studio mate, Alice Lee, who we're supposed to eventually have on this uh, podcast. But mm -hmm. that's my first pick. But my second non-personal pick is a uh, game called Going Under. And I think um, it is on the Switch and I think various other platforms. I don't play video games, but my husband does. And Going Under is this video game um, where the premise is that you are an unpaid marketing intern mm -hmm. at a big tech company based out of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I'm going to yeah. buy it. Um, and you are part of a big conglomerate that have acquired many successful startups that have then failed, thus going under. So that's my second pick. Jim, what do you have for us? So I have three picks. Uh, the first one is, uh, you know, it's front and happy hour itself, which is a weird pick. So uh, a few episodes ago, I picked, my music pick was Notorious XX, which is a makeup, uh, mix up of... Uh, Notorious B.I.G. and the XX. And it turns out that the creator of that actually listens to Front End Happy Hour and was like, shout out to you, Jem. I love that mix. And I'm like, oh my God, I love your mix. And they're like, That's, it's just awesome. It's cool being on podcasts. It's cool connecting with people and like people that make great things. Uh, so that, that's pretty cool. Um, my second pick is a show I just happened to come across and I was watching with uh, my wife. Uh, it's called Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. It is, th this one is controversial because you'll either find it really, really funny and you'll be, or you'll be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's not really, there's not a middle ground here. I, I Like Chappelle show universally is considered pretty funny. Uh, it's, it's just a good sense of humor. This is not that. This is um, very specific. However, we found it hilarious. Not every episode, but there's just moments of brilliance in the show. Uh, it is now streaming on Netflix, sponsored by Netflix. Uh, my second pick is, you know, uh, every part of the show, I pick something where, uh, you know, these products shouldn't exist, but they only exist because people in Silicon Valley make just way too much money. And we call it Valley Silicon. And today's Valley Silicon pick, I, I gotta ask you, ask you all, oh, no. how, much, how much would you pay for a pillow? God, How much would you pay ask, for one? Don't pillow? ask me that, Jim. Fifty dollars. Fifty. Yeah, Fifty. Fifty. Very important. Wait, sleep yes, is important. Sleep is important. Maybe a hundred. Yeah, Ooh. I would say fifty to a hundred. Fifty to hundred. One fifty, pushing it. Really I, I push think I've paid one like just under two hundred for a pillow before. Huh. All right. Well, I know what I'm getting everyone for Christmas when I hit the lottery. Uh. So <laughs> there's this company called Cuddle Down which is an adorable name, but their price is not adorable. Uh, for the low price of $1,499, that is $1,500, you can Jesus get one king-size pillow. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me read the description. It is the ultimate pillow. It's the world's rarest down paired with the world's most luxurious fabric. Rarest I don't know what down. any of that means. 
poor bird. What is it? An endangered species of bird? <laughs> yeah, it's it's dodo feathers. <laughs> oh, feathers. That's terrible. I swear these things exist only because someone's like, I want the best that money can buy. Or I just want to spend a lot of money on something. Like this is literally the cost of a good mattress for one pillow. But hey, that's why it fell as Hilco. These things only exist because people out there make far too, too much money. money. Yeah. Those are my picks. Right on. I just have two picks to follow. One, I'll go along a little bit of Shirley as a little self-promotion, but it was so aligned with this episode is I have a list of resources on GitHub for engineering managers. And I think it's applicable to, you don't have to be a manager or a leader. I think there's a lot of really good material, whether it be podcast episodes or blogs or articles or books. I think it's it has a lot of really good resources for people who want to learn more and invest more in being a stronger leader. So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, I'm trying to continually add to it. So I'll keep doing that. And then my second pick is a podcast episode. It is a new podcast. It's Seeking the Truth in Networking. And I listened to the one episode which was the insider stories of early Silicon Valley of Ethernet. Their guest that they had on was Bob Metacalf, which he's one of the main creators of Ethernet. So it was this really interesting, like super interesting story that they were talking with him about networking and how Ethernet has evolved. And it was just super interesting story. I highly recommend checking it out. So that is my final pick. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. You can follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. Any last words? Like a boss. Like a boss. Like a boss. Cheers. Cheers. I love it.